0: If you would, please open your Bible to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. We've made it to chapter 7. I was actually looking back and we started in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, back on, I think, December 11th or something like that. And here we are in Matthew 7. What a a privilege it's been to work through this Gospel of Matthew and in particular... This section of scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, in this extended teaching, Jesus has been instructing his disciples on what life in his kingdom looks like, on what it means to be his disciple, to be a member of this kingdom. But not only that, Jesus is also presenting the ways of his kingdom as the only path to the good life. It's the way to truly flourish, the only means to be truly blessed. Most recently in chapter 6, the focus of Jesus' teaching has been on how this affects how we view our possessions. So lay up for yourselves, not treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. He was addressing the things that we want or the things that we have. So the path to the good life means that we do store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. It also means that we have no need to worry. Because our Heavenly Father knows what we need. He sees us, and he knows what we need, and he provides for us. Now in chapter 7, Jesus turns toward our relationships. He knows that relationships on this earth will not be perfect, that people will sin against each other. So Jesus addresses how we are to relate to other sinful people as his kingdom people. What do we do? So let us look together, if you're there, at Matthew chapter 7, beginning of verse 1. We're going to read to verse 6. This is the word of God. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. They do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Would you pray again with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. As we receive your word together this morning, may you and you alone be exalted. May your name be glorified as we see you in Christ for who he is. Holy Spirit, help us to see you, to see your world and our place in it through the eyes of Jesus Christ. And may each of us meet Jesus this morning. May Jesus be the Lord of our lives. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to make our way through this text in three parts, and they all have to do with what Jesus is calling us to do, his disciples to do, with how we are to respond. And the first is this. Number one, be kind in your judgments. Actually, I'm going to change that right now to be generous in your judgments. Be generous in your judgments. These words in Matthew 7, verse 1, are some of the most well-known, some of the most often quoted words of Jesus. Do not judge. But even though though these words are so often cited, they are equally so often misunderstood. So, before we seek to understand what Jesus is actually saying, let's give our attention to what he is not saying. What Jesus is not saying. Now, there are two things we need to be clear that Jesus does not say here. First, Jesus does not say that we are to never make any judgments. He does not teach that we are to be, as one commentator puts it, amorphous, undiscerning blobs who never under any circumstance whatsoever hold any opinions about right and wrong. That's not who we are called to be. It's not what Jesus call, is calling us to. If this is what we came away with, it would fly in the face of so much that Scripture teaches because this is not the only verse that addresses Judgments. For example, in John 7:24, Jesus himself, he encourages his disciples, he says, judge with right judgment. So here, Matthew 7, 1, judge not. Matthew, John 27:24, judge with right judgment. Even in a few verses in Matthew 7, a few verses later, we see that it's important for us to be discerning, to make right judgments. Otherwise, we would never know who Jesus is referring to as dogs and pigs. So Jesus is not saying that we are never to judge. We need to be clear on that point. Second thing that we need to be clear that Jesus is not saying is that Jesus does not say that this can be used as our defense against criticism of any kind. Have you ever heard someone say the phrase, don't judge me. Don't don't judge Larry because he wore the same shirt as me today. Or don't judge me for what I eat or don't eat. Or don't judge me for what I wear or don't wear. Don't judge me for what I post. Don't judge me for what I say. Don't judge me for what I listen to. Don't judge me for what I like. Don't judge me for who I love. Don't judge me for how I self-identify, for who I am. Don't judge me. This culture that we live in, that we navigate, the the cultural waters that we swim in, they love this idea. Don't judge me. We hear it all the time. They really love two verses from the Bible. This one, Do Not Judge, and 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And taken together, our culture uses these verses to distort who God is and to distort what we are called to as Christians. So while Scripture does put the love of God on display, God indeed is love. Love is part of his very essence. It also puts his holiness, his righteousness, his justice on display, too. So indeed, in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, God reveals himself to Moses and he says this, something you're familiar with, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Some of us would like to just stop there, but the Lord keeps on going. He is also a God who will by no means clear the guilty. He is a God holy and righteous and just. So also, for this idea of not judging, it's not in this excuse to do whatever we want. Scripture has more to say. If we left it here, we could ignore completely our call to pursue righteousness, to be holy, to put to death that which is earthly among us, and to put on grace and kindness and humility and patience. But this is where our, our culture is. We want to define reality for ourselves We don't define reality. God defines reality. He is reality definer. He is ultimate reality. So we look to him to define reality. So Jesus is not teaching that do not judge should be used as this cover for doing whatever we want to do, being whoever we want to be. Because Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he calls his followers to this greater kingdom righteousness not to be amorphous, undiscerning blobs. We must judge and we must pursue righteousness. How can we be salt if there's no distinctness in the lives that we live? How can we be light if we are engaged in the same darkness as those around us? Who we are as disciples of God's kingdom must be seen in contrast to the world around us. And this contrast can only come through making judgments, to discerning between right and wrong. So I think we have a better idea of what Jesus is not saying here. What then is Jesus saying? What is he teaching in these verses? When we hear the word judge and judgment, our minds often go to condemnation. So to judge is to condemn. So we say, don't judge me. But that is not all that this word means, both in Greek and in English. To judge is to observe and discern. Think about what a judge does in a courtroom. They listen, they observe, they perceive, and they discern. And then they make a judgment. They bring justice. And we can either discern rightly or wrongly. We can discern and judge fairly or unfairly. And this is what Jesus wants to address. When Jesus says, do not judge, he is saying, don't make unfair judgments. Don't have an unfairly critical attitude toward those around you. Don't have an unfairly critical attitude toward those around you. Don't judge others harshly. Don't believe the worst about other people. Jesus' call not to judge is not a call to blindly accept everything that anyone does but a call to be generous in how we view others. Now, I know for myself, no one had to teach me how to be unfairly critical of others. I didn't have to take a class. I didn't have to get my PhD in order to learn how to be unfairly critical of others. I think we're all pretty good at this one. It comes pretty naturally to us. We often and quickly believe the worst about those around us. Just yesterday, I was picking up Chick-fil-A for my kids, and I'm driving up 355, and the person in front of me was driving 15 to 20 miles an hour under the speed limit. And, I mean, right away, I start unfairly judging them, critically judging them. Who do they think they are? Like, what is their deal? They think they're so important that they can just do whatever they want to do when they're driving? And, I mean, I just go down this path and then stop myself. No, I'm, I'm harsh in my judgments. I'm being unfair and critical. Perhaps your brother or sister recently did something that you didn't like. Maybe they used something that was yours or they were saying something that bothered you. Or perhaps you had some expectation for your spouse or a co that they failed to meet. I think this is a lot of times where our unfair, critical attitudes rush in when we have this expectation and it's not met by someone else. In these circumstances, we are so often quick to judge others harshly. When what we expect doesn't happen, we take it personally. They took that cookie because I wanted it. They saw me looking at it, and they took it. Or he scheduled that meeting because he thinks he's so important. Or she left that out so I would have to clean it. That dish that he left in the sink, he just did that for me. Jerk. We are often so stingy with our kindness. We are stingy with our kindness. But God calls us to his greater kingdom righteousness. God calls us to be generous in our judgments. To believe the best about others. To extend charity and to be kind when we think we've been wronged. Even when we think we've been wronged. And Jesus tells us the reason why. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will, be, it will be measured to you. Now there's a sense in which Jesus is simply saying what Paul says in Galatians 6, 7 and 8. You will reap what you sow. If you are unfairly critical toward others, then you will find that others will do the same to you. Now we're going to see Jesus bring this idea out more later in Matthew 7 when we consider his call to do to others as you would have them do to you. But there's something else that Jesus is saying, something more significant, I think. and We see this brought out in contrast to Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, Jesus' emphasis was on God as Father. So we pray to our Father. Our Father is the one who sees us and knows us and rewards us. Here in Matthew 7, Jesus is pointing to a different reality. The reality of God as judge. And God is both. It's important that we recognize God as both father and judge. Now that God is judge is a terrifying reality for the unbeliever. For him to be judge means that he rules and reigns and he is the one to whom we must all ultimately give an account. In rejecting God's judgment, the unbeliever will never realize the privilege of having God as father. And in turning from God as Father, the unbeliever must face God only as judge. But for the believer, the fact that God is both judge and Father is a great encouragement and should fill our hearts with awe and wonder and worship. Because God is our Father, we have no need to fear His judgment, because Jesus Christ has suffered in our place. And knowing God as judge should humble us and really bring us to worship, because this judge... Is also our Father. Once God was the Judge, ready to condemn us for our sins, but now He has sent His Son to die for us, and rise from this death to bring us into His Father's love. So when we think about one, God as Father, it's important that we think about the other. Otherwise, our understanding of God becomes warped and unbiblical, and that's exactly what Matthew gives us here. Jesus has presented God as Father, and now He presents Him as Judge. When we are quick to judge others harshly, we have to recognize that we are inviting God's quick and just judgment on us. Because the measure we use on others will itself be used on us. During Jesus' time, some Jewish rabbis said that God had two measures that he used to evaluate people. The measure of justice and the measure of mercy. It could be that Jesus is using this idea to help make his point. Whichever measure we use on others will be the measure God will use on us. So, brothers and sisters, let us be quick to extend grace to others, quick to believe the best about their motives. Let us be generous in our judgment, for we are those who will one day give an account to the only righteous judge. Now, from here, Jesus continues his focus on relationships, And further addresses our unfair judgments toward others in verses 3 through 5. So if that was point 1, be generous in your judgments. This is kind of like point 1A or 2, whatever you want to do. It's up to you. Don't judge me. Be humble in your help. Be humble in your help. Verses 3 through 5. Now here Jesus presents this ludicrous and hilarious picture to confront our tendency to be far more aware of the problems of others than our own. This is what he says in verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, I think because we're so familiar with this picture, it's lost some of its punch. But let's just consider it for a moment. So someone has a speck in their eye, probably sawdust. Now, this is a problem. Notice that Jesus never says that this isn't a problem. In fact, in verse 5, he encourages his listeners to remove the speck out of their brother's eye. So this speck of sawdust, it's a problem. But there's a far, far bigger problem than the speck in the brother's eye. For lodged, lodged in your own eye is a log. A log, a plank, a 12-foot board. These, these boards up here are 12 feet long. One of these boards is stuck in my eye. Now, one benefit is that social distancing is not a problem. <laughs> but you've got a, a way bigger problem than this, just this speck in your brother's eye with this log in your own. How can you do much of anything when this is your problem. I mean, think about everything that you do. How can you do it with a 12-foot plank in your eye? What Jesus is highlighting, what he's exposing, is that tendency to ignore our own faults. It's our propensity to be proud to have a high view of ourselves that makes us blind to how great our problems, how significant our sin really is. And often we find that what we see in others is far less significant than what, we, than what we see in ourselves, just like that bit of sawdust compared to the log. When we're younger, we do this in very obvious ways. Dad, my sister stuck her tongue out at me. There you are, helping with that speck of sawdust. But you're leaving out the part about the plank because you just punched your sister. As we get older, we become a bit more nuanced in how we handle these situations. But the ridiculousness, the blindness, the complete lack of self-awareness remains something that we often give in to. And it will remain with us until our dying day. Consider David, the triumphant king of Israel. Here is a man who had great success, he had tremendous wealth, he loved God. And in 2 Samuel 12, God sends Nathan to David and has Nathan tell him a story about two men. One rich and one poor. And while the rich man had many flocks and herds, the poor man only had one little lamb. And this lamb he had saved up and bought for himself. The poor man cared for this lamb as he raised it. He shared the little food he had with this lamb. He carried this lamb in his arms because he loved this lamb. One day the rich man had a visitor. And so he wanted to prepare a feast for his guest. But instead of taking a lamb from one of his many, many flocks, the rich man took the poor man's one lamb and had it given to the guest to eat. Nathan tells this story to King David. And when David hears this story, he is outraged. Verse 5 of 2 Samuel 12 says that David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. Now, David was furious that a man who had so much would take from someone who had so little. Now, if you are aware of what takes place in 2 Samuel, you're aware that Nathan then tells David that he is the rich man. Because he is the one who lusted after the wife of Uriah and took her. He is the one with the glaring log in his eye. And David was incredibly blind to it. Here in David, we see this extreme picture of what we so often do. We see a little sin in someone else. And it's something that we've seen in us, but we don't want to acknowledge. So we ignore it there, and we jump in judgment on that other person. We're harsh in our judgment. We burst out in anger when someone is unkind or uncharitable, when they are proud or when they lie, when they do something we don't like. But if we do not feel the same way toward ourselves, toward our own sin then Jesus calls us hypocrites. This is the only place in the Sermon on the Mount where hypocrite, actually in all of Matthew, where hypocrite is used of Jesus' followers, of his disciples. Normally it's used of Pharisees. Here it's used of those who belong to his kingdom. May we not be counted among them. Hypocrites. God calls us to be far more ruthless and committed to removing the sin in our own lives, to removing the log from our own eye, then we are committed to removing the speck of sawdust from our brother or sister's eye. What Jesus calls us to here is humility and our help of others. Helping others begins with this self-awareness that recognizes that we are sinners. We are often blind to our sin. And we must recognize that the wrong that we see in those around us is like a speck of sawdust compared with the sin that God sees in us. The wrong that we see in others is like a speck of sawdust compared to the sin that God sees in us, the sin that is in us. And we, when we recognize our own sin and humility, we must also realize that we are not deserving of any grace or forgiveness in our sin. But brothers and sisters, by the grace of God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can receive forgiveness for our sins. So may we be those who, as Joey read earlier, taste and see that the Lord is good. May we taste of his grace and forgiveness. And then may we be generous in our judgments of others and humble in our help of others. We are those who deserve judgment and condemnation before the holy righteous judge. And yet, if you've placed your hope in Jesus Christ, instead of bearing the full wrath of God, we have received his infinite mercy because of Jesus Christ. So, Grace Church, let us not be fault finders. Let's not be sawdust hunters. We don't want to be those who are always going after the sin that we see in others. The critic is the one who is constantly on the lookout for one, for something to criticize. Instead, let us love one another. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Peter exhorts the church in 1 Peter uh, Peter 4, 8, And I exhort us, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. This love does not mean ignorance of sin in others. It does not mean we don't help. It doesn't mean that specks of sawdust don't matter. Instead, it means that we come. We come to others in a generous and humble way. We come in a way that is quick to believe the best in others and is quick to recognize the grace that they need is exactly the grace that we need. The grace that our Heavenly Father richly pours out on us in Jesus Christ. So Grace Church, be be generous in your judgments. Be humble in your help. And finally, point two or point three, depending on how you took your notes, be discerning in your love. Verse six goes in a direction that it would be easy not to expect. Jesus has been emphasizing the importance of being gracious and hesitant in your help of others when we see their faults. But then verse six presents this, this counterweight to that. So we've been told to love our neighbor as ourselves. We've been told to love our enemies, to judge not. But if we stopped here, we could adopt the mentality that morality, what we do, doesn't matter. That anything goes in the name of love. Love is patient and kind. I actually read an article this past week that was a a response to a Christian writing about uh, the uh, evil of homosexuality. And this response article was... Do not judge, lest you too be judged. Who are you to condemn this? And they went to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. And they accused this original author of uh, just cherry-picking things from God's word. it was interesting because they were doing that exact thing all throughout their article. Anything goes in the name of love. That's not true. This is exactly where our culture wants to stop, but Jesus does not stop. We should not be so hesitant, so cautious when we think we see sin in others that we lose the ability to be discerning. So Jesus says this in verse 6, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now in Jewish thought, a pearl was often used to refer to to important and wise sayings. It had to do with teaching and truth. And in Matthew, we see this brought out even more specifically when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God as a pearl. A pearl of great price. The pearl that we have received is ultimately the gospel. Jesus does not speak of throwing gravel before pigs. He speaks of throwing pearls before pigs. Now, this gospel that we have received, the good news about Jesus Christ and his salvation, it's important that we recognize it as a priceless Treasure, A treasure of inestimable value. And Jesus is saying we must treat it accordingly, not carelessly. So Jesus says, don't give it to dogs or throw it to pigs. But we must ask, who are the dogs and the pigs? And the dogs and the pigs, they, they represent those who have had opportunity to hear and receive the gospel, but have decidedly and consistently rejected it. They are those who have shown a hardened hatred of God. Now this does not mean that they are beyond the reach of the mercy and grace of God. There is no sinner beyond the infinite stretch of his mercy. But it does mean that we should be deliberate and discerning in how we love and engage these people. Perhaps there's someone in your workplace or in your extended family who constantly ridicules Christianity who rejects and mocks and blasphemes God deliberately. Now, Jesus is saying that looking for every opportunity to confront this person with their sin and the hope of Jesus, is a fool's errand. He is saying that they have rejected me and they will reject and oppose you. This is not a new or unique idea in Scripture. Proverbs 9, 7 through 9 says this, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Or consider the instruction of Jesus to his disciples in Matthew 10. As he's sending out his disciples, he says in verse 14, If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words... Shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. When someone openly rejects the truth of God's word, the hope of the gospel, Jesus says, move on. Move on and entrust them to me and cherish my gospel. Certainly, pray for them. Certainly, love them. But cherish my gospel. Now, lest we see everyone as a dog or a pig, we must recognize that this that's a very serious step to take, to move on from those around us. This is not the norm in our interactions with others. I think it's kind of God to provide us this exception, but this exception is not the rule. This is not all that God says about how we are to relate to others. So we have to hold Matthew 7, 6, intention along with our call to, to love our enemies. Intention with our call to pursue righteousness, so even though Jesus tells us not to throw our pearls before dogs and pigs, this does not mean that we are given a blank check to be as mean and nasty to others as we want to be. And some people do that in the name of Christ. John Stott says it this way. He says, Our normal Christian duty is to be patient and persevere with others. Our normal Christian duty is to be patient and persevere with others, as God has patiently persevered with us our normal christian duty is to be to be patient and persevere with others as god has patiently persevered with us now i also think it's helpful to remember just on a on a practical side that jesus spends five verses addressing the importance of not unfairly judging of being humble and gracious and only one short verse on discerning dogs and pigs I think this ratio really reflects the greater danger that we face. We face a far greater danger in being judgmental than in being undiscerning. So, brothers and sisters, may God help us. May God help us to walk by the light of his word. And in the context of the church, may we always bear in mind the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 13 and 14. Be at peace among yourselves. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Pray with me. Oh, Father, give us grace to be generous in our judgments, to be humble in our help, to be discerning in our love. Lord, we are prone to wander. We are quick to be harsh, to lack grace. Holy Spirit, help us. Would you guard your word by your spirit and work in us that which glorifies your name. May your will be done in our lives, we pray. Amen.